This is Three Honest Lads, born three years ago in the plains of Nebraska, or the Straits of South Florida, or the Everglades of Florida. We don't really know. We are not immortal. We are alone. For centuries, we have waited for the time of the gathering, when the strike of a ball and the fall of a superpower will release the quickening. In the end, there can be only one. Three Honest Lads, Devin Kerr, Mike Watts coming at you. How we doing? That, my friend, is the intro of the Highlander that I made at Three Honest Lads' own. And you've never seen it. What up, Mike? This is what they call a sequel. That's, that, that's a reference to yesterday. You, you, you <laughs> had to be being yesterday's to understand today's. Get it? Get it? Mike, if you were in a sequel... Okay, ready? If you were in charge of a movie, would you want to... And by in charge, you were on the production staff. Would you want to be director... Producer, executive producer, because we know they don't do shit, right? Which one would you be? Boy, okay. I'm not throwing shots at anybody right now. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to take the five points that come with being an EP. Yeah, same. Most money, least amount of work, and and the best catering, right? Your own trailer for doing nothing. Like I'm, I'm with you on that one. That makes the most sense. Yeah. No, I think that's only fair. So... As our football-loving maniacs will understand from last episode, we had some movies that Mike has not seen. The Highlander is part of that. We will be taking recommendations because it looks like Mike and I are going to have a movie night on Friday. There will be cocktails involved. We may or may not record an episode. Who knows? But it looks like we're going to be getting our work done. Should be done around 5, 5.30. And I think Mike and I are going to have some drinks and watch a movie. Let us know what you think movie... Let us know what movie you think we all should watch. At this point in time, there's no leader in the clubhouse. There's just a clubhouse full of bags. We're trying to figure out exactly which one to take out onto the course. You good with that, Mike? We're wide open. Wide open. Love that. I love that. Tee off anytime we want. We can play nine. We can do loops. We can be the loopers. There are so many different ideas here. Mike, we're down to one game. Simple as that. We're going to do a little preview here of the final. Phoenix Rising traveling to the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Of course, it's the first final for the Tampa Bay Rowdies, it is the second for Phoenix Rising. Lost in 2018 at Louisville, 62nd minute goal by Luke Spencer. Different team, different times. We already talked to you about the victories that both had. Just a quick recap. As mentioned, Tampa Bay Rowdies beating Louisville City in the Eastern Conference Final 2-1. to Phoenix Rising taking down El Paso Locomotive. Drew 1-1 in regulation, 4-2 in penalties. Uh, another save by Zach Lubin. There's so much to go on, but we're going to get into the final here. Let's just start with this. Mike, at the beginning of the season, I think it's really easy for people to point the finger at Phoenix and say, this team belongs in the final, myself included. They're star-studded. Most coaches and players will tell you, top to bottom, on paper, they are the best team in the entire USL championship. Let me ask you this, though. Given everything that we've been through and that they've been through, I'm not going to ask you a comment on those situations. I'm going to ask you on this. Situation in San Diego, suspension of Junior Flemings, suspension and subsequent reinstatement of Rick Schunt, some poor play, some injuries. Did you think they were going to get to the final coming out of the West? No. No, probably not. Um, to lose your head coach and leading scorer in the fashion that they did, given what I'd seen in previous years, um, no, probably not. But, you know, credit Salman Asante, who has two goals in the playoffs. And yep. I know, I know. <laughs> I know about the first goal. Trust me. I know. Oh, my God. I keep getting yeah, yeah, yeah. about 
referees and guys, they only have two eyeballs each. It happens. Just deal with it. I'm sorry. You know, it sucks. But, you know, he did end up getting two goals. The team has been locked down defensively. It hasn't been the sexiest three games, but they're here. That's all they wanted. I'm with you on that. By the way, uh, breaking news just coming out. Um, Sam Gleadle has signed to Minnesota United from Reno 1868, interestingly enough. Good for him. Uh, Reno 1868, outside back. I'm with you on that. I just wanted to give you a heads up. So I'm with you on that, Mike. I think that, and mind you, I think we're talking about heading into the playoffs, things that were going on. Obviously not in the form that they've been in, in playoffs. That's a whole other conversation. Look, I had them losing to Reno. A lot of people did. I give them credit. And I think there is something to be said for the fact that this team, it, you really can say they're battle-tested. Now, a lot of that you don't want to have to go through, but there is something to be said. I took a little bit of flack for this on, on Twitter over the weekend, but I wasn't discrediting everything that has gone on because there are some negative things for sure. But I was saying that not everybody was involved in those negative situations. Not all of those players were involved. And I think a lot of positive steps have come from that organization to give themselves the opportunity at a championship. Those guys earned it. And, and they worked their butts off. Whether it's, as you've said before, you know about the goal against Sacramento. We get it. It's a handball. That wasn't the only opportunity for Republic to win it. Neither was it for Phoenix. You know, it just happened that way. That's the way the sport runs. They did beat Reno. They deserved it. They did beat El Paso. They deserved it. They deserved to be here. So I'm with you on that one. Let's transition to the Eastern Conference before we get into the down and dirties of the game, if you will. Tampa Bay Rowdies. I think it's really easy for people to look at the Rowdies. I would actually compare them to 2019, where it was just this, hey, we're here. We're talented. Don't exactly know who we are. We're going to get wins. We're going to be competitive. We're going to push some really good teams. We're going to perform pretty poorly against the bad teams. But we're going to give our shot at something. Don't know what that something is. Never really got better, never really evolved, all that kind of stuff. Same thing in 2020. The difference is the past five games or so, things have gotten a lot better. And I'm not just talking about results. I'm talking about the eye test, the actual play. I think tactically they've taken a massive step. So I will pose the same question to you, Mike. Tampa Bay Rowdies, come end of the year, even beginning of playoffs, did you think they would make it to the Eastern Conference Final? Well, if I had to pick one or the other that was more likely, I, I would probably say it was going to be uh, Tampa Bay falling and um, falling sooner on paper. My my heart said Tampa Bay had more in them. I picked them against Charleston. Yep. There wasn't really a good reason for that other than the fact that, you know, they, they did earn the right to be at home. Uh, that was the only team they had lost to all season. Um the, the majority of the games against Charleston were hanging by a thread throughout. And, you know, it, it, eventually you're due. And they, they were getting healthy. And they have all their pieces more or less available to them at this point that during the year was hit and miss. Particularly, you know, I, I thought Ekra was coming around. Steinberger ends up getting the goal against Louisville. Leo Fernandez coming back and eventually starts against Louisville. So when it's all said and done, I'm not surprised they got there. I could see reasons why they wouldn't. To get to the final, to beat Louisville on the road, that's probably more surprising than anything. But you look top to bottom on the roster. There's no one who kind of hasn't been there, done that before in this league. And I don't necessarily mean winning a championship. I mean being a, an all 
all league caliber player at some point. And, you know, that in mind, you got to feel pretty good about the fact that they got here to begin with. All right, so let's get right into it then. Phoenix Rising at Tampa Bay Rowdies. Let's talk about the matchups itself. Mike, let's just start with, with you, and, and I get where you're coming from. I would say that, um, to, to backtrack for one second, in terms of pick them, for lack of a better word, um, I do think that you're right. I, I think it's more likely that the Rowdies extend further. Like, if I had to pick teams in the West, I'm probably picking Reno, El Paso, and New Mexico to get in instead of Phoenix. That didn't happen. Good on them. If I'm picking teams out of the East, obviously I'm getting my pick with the Louisville-Pittsburgh game. So I'm going with one of them, and then I'm going with the Battery, and then I'm going with the Rowdies. So four, I mean, it's close, right? It's close. Um, anywho, when, when you look at the matchups themselves, do you have some fun storylines in your mind without giving away some of the stuff we're going to talk about on the broadcast? What are the fun storylines in your mind that maybe you're excited to talk about on air? No, I mean, even, you know, if I am giving away stuff for the broadcast, I, I think it still applies. I, I think, um, you know, the Rowdies are such a big name that, that I've admired as an organization. Um, yeah, I know Bill Edwards is gone, and you kind of lose that more eccentric owner in favor of, of Stu Sternberg, who's very much a, a quiet, unassuming owner um, on a public stage. Um, but I admire what Lee Cohen's done. I admire what Neil Collins has done. And, and it's, it's an organization that has history and you have to appreciate that. Um, I love that, that Tampa Bay right now seems to be the region of, of champions. And I know where the Rays oh are in the yeah. world. But with the Lightning and, you know, they're hosting the Super Bowl and Tom Brady's there and what the Rays have done. And, you know, at this point, it, it sort of feels like they'd accomplish that they got this far. Uh, which is, I think, you know, a really cool subplot. Um, there's a couple guys on that team where I sort of feel like it, it's maybe their time to break out on national stage. Evan Laurel doesn't look like a, a goalkeeper that, you know, you, you drop big money on or expect big things out of. But I think you could say the same about Luis Robles, you know, it's a guy yep. who's won the shield in MLS. He doesn't have that long, lanky, Eager Casillas look or, you know, Courtois look or whatever, you know, it's, he, he doesn't have extendo arms or whatever. Um, he, he just, he, he's spring loaded. Um, you know, if you think about where Guanzati was when the Cosmos folded, um, torn up knee, didn't know where his future was. Um, stories like that really stand out to me. And you look at Phoenix. I have reservations about the whole situation, and I'll leave it at that. Um, ultimately, Colin Martin gives Rick Dons the right um, in in his mind to return. The the team um, allows him to return with that in mind. He he's paid a penalty. Junior Flemings continues to pay a penalty for the situation in San Diego. With that in mind. It is adversity for the rest of the team who are completely uninvolved. It's adversity for Rick, who's been forgiven by the figure involved. And now, you know, he's never experienced anything like this in his life. And he's had to personally figure a lot out. Um, all the while, you've got, you know, Didier Drogba owning the team. You know, a guy he personally recruited into the team in Solo Sante playing good ball right now. Um you know, it's it's a, a defense of guys that have sort of won an opportunity to play, including two former Rowdies 
and Darnell King and Damian Lowe. Um, I, I think there's storylines galore here. So I'm with you on that. Um, I, I do find it interesting that so Phoenix Rising rebrands, right? They, they turned into Phoenix Rising in 2017. We've now seen three head coaches. Um, that would encompass Frank Yallop, obviously Rick Schantz is the interim and now head coach, and then sprinkled in there Patrice Carteron. We've seen the same general manager, Bobby Dooley. A couple of front office guys rotate, not many. I think it's interesting going back through the success of the team in 17 compared to 18 and then 19 to 20 because 17 and 18 obviously much closer as 19 is to 20 than 18 is to 20. You know, you look back at that roster, the guys that are now remaining and the only four are Zach Lubin, Joey Farrell, Kevin Lambert, which at that point in time was Kevon Lambert, so we can remind everybody, and Solomon Asante. Lubin wasn't the starter, by the way. That was Carl Wazinski, who was coming off a broken collarbone, who started in that final. And that was a whole other storyline you and I got to talk about. So you have all of these pieces in a rebrand that happened in 17. And it's almost as if, again, without getting into specifics, I'm with you on the reservations and how our opinions are about what went on and what's going on there and how it's being handled. But it's almost as if like it's an unintentional rebrand in certain areas because they have to polish their image. They have new players. They have to change their ways. They have to say all the right things. And that may not be the greatest take, but in my mind, when you're looking at a club that has to go through so much adversity, unwarranted or not, you have to find another way to get to a different level. That can be playing form. That can be locker room chemistry. There are so many things that come into the run to a championship in general, yet alone what this team is going through. Now, I want to be very careful how I'm phrasing this, and I'm not going to swear because I don't want Alex to have to go through and edit this, but all you people that think that I'm discrediting what's going on, that's not the case. I'm saying that I think, yes, people have been victimized. I, I think that is the most important story here, absolutely, and I'm not taking anything away from that. There are also people who, these are their livelihoods, these are their jobs. Do you think Joey Farrell or Rukat Dadashov knew what Junior Flemings was saying? No. Absolutely not. Do they share the same values? Absolutely not. And though I understand the moniker that's placed on them because they're within the organization, I think it's extremely unfair to crucify them as well. Take that for what it is. These guys are still professionals and they have a job to do. And they're doing it right in front of your eyes. So I think in certain areas people need to understand that these people are still people. Corey Whelan, Sam Stanton, like they're all still people, and I'm just naming a few, of course. And I think they have a massive job to do, and that's not an easy thing when you have a target on your back every single week. But this team had it last year through their 20-game win streak. We know how the playoffs went. Of course, the Monarchs handed them their exit path. And I think that there is something to be said that, you know, Rick Schantz has admitted to us that in that win streak, they stopped getting better, and they just found ways to win. I think that is actually helping them this year because it's really difficult mentally for them to try and get better through all of this when all they really need to go out and get results. I'm the first one, Mike, and you know this, to stand up and say, they look like crap. I don't think they're anywhere near what they should be playing. However, there is something very important to be said that guys that went through that streak last year and fell short, they saw the downfall of the loss against the Monarchs twice in the span of four weeks how that felt, and they came back hungrier, and still, through everything that they've been through, they're right where they want to be. They are 90 minutes from a championship. I have to give them credit in that situation, don't you? Yeah. No, of course you do. 
I think there's a segment of people who probably don't want to or and, see and that's that their right, and they can feel that way, and they can feel that way, and that's their right. Again, this is our but, podcast, not theirs. So yeah, and it also shouldn't dictate how we talk about this on national TV. Of course, I, I have totally a real problem with anyone who thinks that they need to tell me how I should feel about this. Agreed. I, I'm going to allow Colin Martin to help me dictate how I feel about this. I'm yep. going to have the fact that a player did get punished, and that's that. Uh, like, uh, the the people involved in the incident both received a pretty hefty punishment. I also have a problem with long before this investigation was done, the whole organization was being crucified. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I have a problem with that. It, it, we we need to we need to have some kind of civil discourse. Some it, it kind of comes back to um, boy, this is getting political. Um, right. How I feel about prison reform. What, what are we doing here? Is our goal to rehabilitate or is our goal to, to punish? And where's the balance in between? And with any social issue that that reaches social media. We're having a really tough time figuring out when we've rehabilitated and when we're just trying to, to punish. In in a in an era right now where ten to fifteen percent of America is unemployed, to call for someone else's livelihood is you better be right for one. And two, even if you are right, the idea that a person can't rehabilitate their mentality, understanding, acceptance Far be it from me, who was born on third base, to tell people who've been disadvantaged in their life how to feel. It's not my right. I can't. I can't tell you anything. But by the same token, I, I really wish there was a little bit more. Um, and, and the word compassion isn't it? You know, not everything deserves compassion. But don't we have to take Rick at his word that after a month of Speaking to people in the LGBTQ community and 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 making an effort in outreach and it, don't we have to somewhat take his word that he better gets it now? Um, and then beyond that, all the players who are entirely uninvolved deserve the right to go do their job without being completely hammered for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I think it's well said. By the way, uh, another bit of news that just popped up. News of the possible arrival of Matias Almeida as the new coach of Paul Merrick. Hmm. Wow. Mentioned that to you a couple weeks ago, Mike, that something could happen. And, uh, and yeah. Um, I wonder if that could open the door for Ian Russell. We'll see. Anyway, um, uh, matchups itself. I'm going to go first on this one. I talked about this extensively during the preview to the Louisville Tempe Rowdies game. I still think it rings true. And I think more so for this side because it is two teams. The Rowdies have the better midfield right now in terms of form. Louisville coming in, I talked about how impressive their three were. And, Mike, I went right at both coaches. I said it on air. I said it to you again. That was the most integral piece. I think it could bring true again because the Rowdies, they just are coming off their best performance in terms of execution. We talked about that in the recap last time out. Go check it out. It's still a midfield that if they want to win a championship, are going to have to do something special. And a feasting excuse me, Phoenix Rising midfield, really talented themselves, was beyond impressed for the opening 25-30 minutes of what Stanton, Kevin Lambert, and oddly enough, no disrespect to the player, just the fact that he was in over Becquero. Jordan Schweitzer brought to the table. Schweitzer did not take it for a long portion of the game. If John Becquero comes at a high level, this game is going to be a whole nother impact 
It, it's just the two of those midfields put together, and I think that what Phoenix is going to have to deal with, with the willingness of Tejada and Sebastian Guanzati dropping down in, both of them at times, behind the ball, forcing you to play out, you're going to look to see – I want to see what three they're going to start with first off, because if it's Lambert, Picaro, and Stanton, Lambert's going to have to come way deeper than normal, which means there's a separation in midfield. And the way that Picaro and Stanton like to move their wings – excuse me, move their mids out and open up space, that means Datashop's going to have to drop deeper. That means you're going to have to overload the middle more. I think that's a big ask. And if Schweitzer is the one in there, can Lambert, with those long strides, deal with some of the speed that you're going to get out of Zach Steinberger, Jordan Doherty, and Jan Ekra, because they can close space down fast. I'm not saying that Lambert is not capable of, but he's much more of that 6'8 type role and comfortable on the ball. He's not as explosive as those other two. For me, it still comes down to the midfield and also can the boys up top score, right? Uh, understand that if you're Phoenix Rising, you know, you got Solomon Asante's goal against Reno. Thank you for that. But the other goal came from Lambert, okay, and understand that. You get the goal from Jordan Schweitzer against El Paso Locomotive off a deflection. You get the, yeah, we get it, it's a handball against Sacramento Republic. So, but it was, it, it was a lucky. So even though Solomon Asante scored in back-to-back games, you still needed supplementation from somewhere else. You didn't get it from Moar, and you certainly haven't got it from Dadashov. And that's the key one for me there is that the way this Phoenix Rising team is playing, I'm high on Dadashov. I still am. But when you, when you track back through, he hasn't scored since the one nothing victory over Orange County on September 26th. And I think there's something right. to be said about that. You know, he's, he's so influential to this team that he's only got one goal. Um, let me think. One, two, three, four, five, six. One goal in his last seven. I think you need more out of him to have success against this Tampa Bay Rowdies back line because of the fact that they're so tightly knit. Aaron Guillen, Forrest Lasso, and is it going to be Jordan Scarlett? I don't want to get into that yet, Mike. I want to stay on Phoenix. That's kind of my thought about what I see for Phoenix. I don't really have any reservations about the back line right now. If Damian Lowe can take it to another level, Paired next to Joey Farrell, I think they're fine with Corey Whelan and Darnell King. For me, it comes down to the, the production out of Data Shop and what your midfield looks like. If you had to choose right now, who are you starting in midfield? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Obviously, John Beccaro is the more talented player. I think defensively, you have a better look with Jordan Schweitzer, Lambert, and Stanton. Oh, man. It's probably the most difficult decision they're going to have to make. And think back to last year, that was the decision, and it wasn't midfield, it was right back for Real Monarchs, that truthfully we didn't know until the lineup came in, officially, yep. which way they yep. go. Yep. Do you go um, with the attack player that could give you a moonshot, or do you go with a more defensive, sturdy player right back who isn't going to make a mistake? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, here's my thing. Given what I saw out of Jordan Schweitzer, I liked that look better. The problem was, is that production, as mentioned previously, you're only getting 25, 30 minutes of, of a look. If I put Vaccaro in, I'm getting that attack-minded look. I still have Lambert and Stanton paired in the middle to help me out defensively a bit more. And John will track back, of course. So I still have that. And I can switch the Schweitzer at halftime, probably closer to the 60th minute which gives me the legs, gives me the defensive look, and allows Lambert to stretch the game a little bit more. I think I'd probably start Vaccaro. If they start Schweitzer, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. My concern is that if this game goes on nil-nil longer, I favor the Rowdies over Phoenix. Correct. And so and I don't, I'm, not looking, yeah, I'm not looking for Schweitzer to come off the bench to give me an offensive punch. 
where I'm relying on Lambert and Stanton, I, I, I think I'd go for that look earlier than later if I'm Phoenix. Yeah, and what I'm saying is, is the way you intend to start the game, it may be quite clear based off what midfield you play. I'm not saying that Phoenix can't attack with their front three plus. Of course. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but if you're trying to really get after it early on, I would think that that comes with the benefit of, of getting, um, the Caro upfield early in the game. It, now, if you want to try and get a punch later, go Bacaro, or you could bring in a guy like Aguinaldo off the bench, or you, you have some options, but Bacaro is, is, has to be your most talented attacking midfielder. That, straight up trade talent. With that in mind, it, it, I think it depends how you want to play this game, but I totally agree. The deeper this goes, it nil-nil, even 1-1, one, one, Credit Rowdies. It, the deeper this gets on level terms or with a Rowdies one-goal lead, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Phoenix to pull out of that late in the game. They're Let's too organized. To, no, I'm with you. Let's go to the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Um, we alluded to it already. Right back again is going to be another question mark. Jordan Scarlett comes out in the opening minutes of the game against Louisville City. This is a back line that outside of Forrest Lasso, for basically I think you said like 40 minutes, Mike, the back three and the goalkeeper have played every single minute together. They brought Lakowecki in. You and I, again, we mentioned on the last pod, go listen. We talked about it in depth about how we were surprised how Louisville didn't attack that area more. I think that if Jordan Scarlett doesn't play, and that's the key question mark, I think the better look is Alex Davey, who came over midseason from Hartford Athletic. I think that's a better look for them. And he was great once he came on. But I that's a big concern if you're the Tampa Bay Rowdies for, for a unit that has been so good all season long, you no longer have Jordan Scarlett. And for when people have to understand, as a former center back myself, there are tendencies that you get with players that even if you miss a guy for three or four games, things start to fluctuate and the chemistry is just a little bit off. It can throw you off. Think about someone like Lakowecki or Alex Davies, who basically haven't played there the entire season, and all of a sudden, they have to step into the right-back position in the USL Championship Final. That's not an easy look. Zambuya hasn't been in the 18, so if you wanted to slide him into a back three, whether or not you think it's a good luck is another story. You don't have that luxury. I find it hard-pressed that they're going to put him in there, given the fact that he hasn't made the 18 in quite some time, which means you're looking at Alex Davey, you're looking at Lakowecki, and that's about it. So it's one of those two. Again, it goes down to Davey for me, but that's a really difficult ask, Mike. Yeah, no, it's... It, it also brings into question the athletic ability of, of that back three, too. Yep. In, in my opinion. Scarlett clearly more athletically gifted than Davey or Lakowecki at that position. So how much more are you asking out of Forrest Lasso? And perhaps more importantly, how much more do you need to be careful in the wing um, with Moar and Asante? I thought the defenders on the outside for... El Paso, and I, I, all due respect to Mark Lowry, I didn't, I didn't see it. He goes, I kind of like our 1v1s out there. I'm like, dude, I don't know. And truthfully, I thought they did a fantastic job in the wide areas. You look at what Tampa Bay did against Ombi and Hopano, I, I thought they were very good out there too, and at times they did double up in the wide area. So, uh, how they handle that outside back position, and do you, if Scarlett's not in the 18, I don't know what the situation is with Dumbuya or anyone out there. I mean, 
you know, Dalgard's obviously going to stay in a wide area. I I could see Malik Johnson starting and and go with um go with with uh with um with, with that potentially, but uh, even then, I think you're better bringing him off the bench at, at a wing back. I think Lackawecki or Davies the obvious decision you have to make, assuming Leo's got the other side handled at wing back. Hit the mute button there. I apologize to everybody. Um, uh, make fun of me later. Make fun, make fun of me later. So I, I agree with you in everything that you said for the most part. Um, I don't agree that Malik Johnson will step into the right back position, but what I came in with, Mike, before I was talking to Thin Air was I, the only change coming into the, the Eastern Conference Final was Lackawecki to the bench, Leo Fernandez to outside mid. If he was going to be healthy, you knew that was going to happen. The depth of the midfield is a concern for me as well, and I'm, I'm circumventing this entire thought. Steinberger, Ekra, and Doherty, it puts that much more responsibility on their shoulders because Lewis Hilton is the only option. Kevin Mendoza hasn't been a pick. Damo Duro, of course, is not there. Adam Najem, of course, not there. So it's a very thin squad now that I look at it. And But, but there's something to be said for that as well because you saw it out of El Paso Locomotive. So if you pull from one area, do you then pull from another to supplement the 18? Meaning, if I take Alex Davey, stick him at right back, is Jordan Scarlett even good enough to make the 18? In my mind, if he's not starting the game, I'm not putting him in the 18. And the reason I say that is, I don't know why you would want him to come off the bench and help, whereas you could just have him start the game and have Alex Davey come off the bench. If you start Alex Davey, I'm putting another midfielder in there. Because if this thing does go the distance and you go 120, I need to find a way to help out in the middle. So I think it'll be real interesting to see how the 18 plays out, because Again, if Scarlett can't start, I don't know why you would bring him off the bench. That's my thought. He's not taking a pen. We, I mean, at least we know Lackawecki can provide cover there. Yeah, but you going know, back to your he, point. You aren't sitting there without a quote-unquote backup. You have an option. It's not preferred, but you do have it. So with yes. that in mind, yes. it opens the door. That said, you talk about 120. We just saw Scarlett get hurt, and we needed to see Lackawecki go you know, 70 minutes at that position, um, yep. you know, majority of it at that position. So it, I could see that going either way. I would I would rather have fresher legs in midfield because I think Phoenix can run you to death. Well, I totally and, and agree with that. To step in for a second, one thing you could do, by the way, is, and again, the best option up front right now is Gwenzadi and Tahada, but you can also drop one of them in to help out in the midfield, like if you brought Lucky on, for instance. You bring Lucky on for Lucky up top, you can drop Gwenzadi or Tahada in. It's a, it's a lot more running for Gwenzadi. Tahada's more capable of it, but tactically, Gwenzadi gets it better. It's not the look that yeah. you want, but the way that they played Steinberger against Louisville, it's a look you can get, right? Yeah. Of course, Kyle Murphy's in, of course, Kyle Murphy's in there, too. Um, Mike, dude, Kyle Murphy escorted Tucker Goals last year, and the dude, he and Lucky both didn't play in the Eastern Conference Finals. What? I know. I know. I know. Just unnecessary, man. They didn't need him. <laughs> yeah, wild. He only scored one in 15 this year for the Rowdies, but I think he's been pretty right. good. I think he's been great to help push Tejada, to be honest. Yeah. 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 Um, is not going taking a bit of a chance this year. Yeah. Not going to ask you on the other side is you could bring Adam Najam in. If you bring him into the 18, there's a whole other thing. I'm not going to ask you for your predictions, um, in terms of winners and things like that. I'm going to ask you this. Mike, does this game end in regulation? <sighs> You know, I told someone yesterday, 2-1 Rowdies in regulation. Uh, it would not surprise me if we went further than that. I'll say that. I think this is a one-goal game. 
I don't think this is a blowout. So that always opens the door to going to extra time. That, that's my first thought. Something to think about, by the way. If it is a one-goal game, Phoenix Rising has only been shut out one time this season, to your point. That was all the way back on July 25th. It is the only time they have been held scoreless. It was a one nothing win for Orange County at Championship Soccer Stadium. That was right at the beginning of the season where, you know, Phoenix tied Orange County, they lost Orange County, and then all of a sudden they got this momentum. They beat El Paso, beat New Mexico, beat San Diego, beat Losos, went on that run before losing to Reno. So it is the only time they have been held scoreless this season. That's something to think about. Um, you could argue regulation and extra time, blah, 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 blah. Don't want to hear that crap. Um, I don't think it's a one-goal game, and I, res- I totally understand where you're coming from. I think Phoenix definitely gets a goal. I'm not going to pick a winner. I think it is a, I think it is a 2-1, possibly 3-1 game, given the team at the end pushing, trying to find an equalizer. I think 2-1 is more likely the score, in my opinion, and I do think this game ends in regulation, because I think what happens is, I, I see it being, you know, one nothing, 2 nothing, someone trying to get a goal, one nothing, 1-1, someone trying to get a goal, it's 2-1 with, with 25 minutes to go, someone makes a mistake, it's 1-1 with 20 minutes to go, Someone makes a mistake. I don't see either one of these teams, in my opinion, tactically being good enough to lock it down and be perfect and not give up a goal and not score a goal. I think you make a mistake somewhere trying to push in another area. Now, that could be Phoenix pushing themselves into the final third and that offensive defending that Rick always talks about. The midfield doesn't bring up the gap. You let Doherty and Ekro drop in. All of a sudden, they find Steinberger. They're off to the races. Todd and Tuck's one away. That could be. There's a counterattack for the Rowdies. They're tired. The right back position opens up. The midfielders don't drop back to help out. There's just distribution in. All of a sudden, you've got a 5v3 going the other direction. Phoenix and their beautiful counterattacking that we've seen so many times before get a goal. I'm not going to give my pick um, of the winner. That's just kind of how I see the game playing. Any departing thoughts for the football-loving maniacs before you and I venture off to Florida? I live in South Florida, so it's about three and a half hours. Yeah, um, let's try this on. Anytime you're playing on national TV, the players are up for it, in part because it's the shop window. There's there's going to be probably the biggest audience, though, first on you, Devin, uh, biggest audience to ever watch a, a USL championship game. Name one or two players on each team who's most apt to be in the shop window with their performance on Sunday night. Hmm. That's a great question, Mike, and I, I I love it actually. So, and this might this might be an easy one in some people's eyes, though though I don't necessarily think it is. I'm going to go with Juan Tejada for the Rowdies because of the fact that he almost doesn't know any better. That he's so young, he's only a second year pro, and he's got all these seasoned veterans around him that the spotlight doesn't bother him. If there's one thing that we've seen out of him before, it's that he's always there. He's always you know stifling players. He's got a lot of energy. I think he's a pick, and you talked about Evan Laurel earlier. I think that could be a pick. I'm not going to make him mine because I think that could go south as well if Phoenix bring their A game. And I'm going to – I might be stealing one of yours, to be honest, based upon our conversations, but I, I thought it was – it was one of the – not one of the few times, but one of, one of the times that you really took everything that I was thinking out of my brain. Sebastian Dalgard at the outside mid position. thought he's been spectacular for them, and the matchup that he's going to have offensively and defensively, if he can take down Santi Moar and Darnell King, hats off, brother. And I think there's a case that he can. My my overwhelming thought um, for Tampa Bay, I, I, I agree on Tejada. 
I don't know that all the physical tools are there for him to play at the next level. I, I, I think the energy's there. I think he's shown the ability to be a, a bit of a silver yeah, didn't bullet. Ask, for, to be fair, you didn't ask me that, though. <laughs> well, I'm saying shop window, man. I'm, I'm saying who's showing off for everybody else. Um, that, Show, that's but sort showing, of but showing off. Showing off for everybody else and getting a chance to go to another level of different things, to be fair. They can be one of those things. Yeah. Well, then we have different definitions. Uh, I, I, I'm just saying I think Tejada has a chance to go really impress some people. Um, I, I think for, I think for Phoenix, this is the game of Damian Lowe and Kevin Lambert's life. Period. Yep. Yeah. I mean, um, took my picks and Donald yeah, Trump, in my I, opinion, but. Yeah, I and and I sort of lean toward younger players or players who have a more significant footprint at the international level. It's not yep. to say Dadashov is a nobody. I mean, the dude started for Azerbaijan against the U.S. men's national team five years ago. He's he's been on radars. Yeah. Um. But Damian Lowe's played in multiple Gold Cups. Uh. Got the call to Europe out of Tampa Bay what three years ago. Only left there because of COVID. Um, rolls back here, and I think if he, he, I don't know that he's entirely 100% fit, but the, the physical tools are there, and I think, you know, Rick told us, and we mentioned it during the game last week, the only thing keeping Kevin Lambert from MLS right now is probably his feet, and, and the question, are they good enough? But I've seen soft feet from him. I've seen him do everything necessary to, to be there. If he goes out and just totally stunts all over everybody. I I think there could be a decent transfer offer, you know, in a month or two to to consider for for Kevin Lambert who is indeed under contract. Yep, I'm with you. I think it's very well said. Um my thing with Dadashov and I get the age, I get the international spot. I asked Rick this point blank. You heard me say it. You know my yep. take, Mike. I don't know if I've shared this on the pod, so I'm going to share it now. I think Rufat Zadashov is a better striker than um, Adam John. I do. I I, I think he's better. They're different, but I think he's better. If Adam John was not an American, would he have been signed by Atlanta United this year? No, of course not. And that's why I understand your take. That's why I phrase that ahead of time going in. And and so I totally get that. Um, I I think you could not have said it better from Lambert and um, Damian Lowe, excuse me. There is one other one that I would like to throw into the mix because I think he is a fantastic player, and I think that because of the situation he's been put in, we may not necessarily see his best position. Another international, but very, very young. I'm actually quite curious what coaches would, would think of Corey Whelan as well, because I, I, I find him and rate him very high. And the fact that he's had to move from, you know, in, in, you know, right center back, basically a right back, almost seamless, says something. There is some fluctuation on that back line, but, you know, there, there's a lot of players here. You know, if you're talking about guys that have something to prove that can maybe still make a step, dude, I think Aaron Guillen could take a step. Do I think he can play in the MLS? I don't think that, no. But I think there is something to said. Like, he, he is he is good. I think he is better this year than he was last year under Dave Sarenkin at North Carolina. That's not a knock on Dave. I think Dave helped give him that step. And if he can continue taking steps, you never know. Maybe he comes a squad player. Um, of course, he is American in that situation. That is that. We are done. Um, Mike, I would like you to serenade us with 10 or 15 seconds of a song that you feel best exemplifies the upcoming match, the weekend that we're going to have together. Heck, maybe even the movie that we're going to watch. You're going to sing it, stop, and then I'm going to say goodbye. 
I'm going to give you five seconds as I talk right now. I'll give you ten, Mike, to think about what you want to sing, who you want to sing it about. It could be a made-up song. You could go a cappella. You could drop a beat and beatbox this thing, you know? Maybe a little auto-tune. I don't know. But in about three seconds, I'm going to stop, and the floor is going to be yours. Go, my friend. We are the champions, my friend. And we'll keep on fighting till the end. Yeah, that's the end. See you, Football Loving Maniac. I don't know what that was. We love you.